Welcome to The Frenzy. I'm Melissa Carter. And I'm Jen Hobby. The Frenzy's mission is to celebrate friendships over 40. We believe that women can thrive through authentic relationships, self-discovery, and spiritual exploration. Our decades-long friendship continues to grow because we are willing to go there and share our truths through life's highs and lows. That's why The Frenzy is here, to hold space for women who are 40 and older, because at this age, your story matters more than ever. We are so excited to introduce you to author and nationally recognized voice in parenting, Erica Suter. She is joining us today as a voice of parenting advice. Erica has over 20 years of journalism experience and is a frequent contributor on Good Morning America and other national broadcast outlets where it's been her job to speak to parents across the country about issues, controversies, trends, most affecting families today. We are so excited to dive into some of that with her. And Erica's new book is called How to Have a Kid and a life, a survival guide. So please help us welcome Erica Suter to The Frenzy. So glad to be here, guys. So excited to talk to you. Well, Jen and I both have young children. So we're women over 40. I'm over 50. And our children are still in elementary school. Was it Lauren is in third grade, right, Jen, this year? Yes, I have a third grader and a kindergartner. And I've got a first grader. So we are, you know, I call myself an old mama. So uh, we are, we're older moms, older mothers, kids. That's right. So we need the survival guide, don't we, Melissa? We do. And also for our audience, you know, as I teach my son, there's different kinds of families, right? So if you're a grandmother Mm -hmm. raising a young child, you know, Mm -hmm. this is for you as well. Or you're someone who has taken on, whether it is a blood relative or not, you know, that this is a conversation that everybody can benefit from. Yeah, there's no one definition of family. Uh, I talk to caregivers and mothers from every walk of life to do my research for the book. And I really hope to put together, you know, a guide for how we can, you know, figure out how to survive some of the hardest parts of motherhood that we don't often talk about. Mm -hmm. So Erica, tell us a little bit about your history and how you came Mm -hmm. to be a parenting expert. Yeah. So um, I've been a journalist, like I said, for uh, about 20 years. And when I had a family, I was an entertainment journalist, actually, for a very long time. I worked at People Magazine. I worked at Us Weekly. And there came a time when, you know, staying up to four in the morning, trying to get quotes from Kim Kardashian just weren't going to work with family life. Because then, you know, my kid would be up two hours later. And it just wasn't the right career path, I felt, for me to have um, a family and family work balance. So I switched gears, I started focusing on parenthood. And I was an editor at a website, a very popular website called Cafe Mom for many years. And uh, I would mostly assign stories, but there are some stories that would come through that I wanted to write myself. And one in particular was on this research into a mom gene. These scientists had actually found a gene in mice that women, human women have, and it would determine whether or not you are nurturing, whether or not you have maternal instinct, uh, whether you have this uh, need to care for others. And when they suppressed it in mice, the mice showed no interest in caring for their young. And so they hypothesized that women, human women have the same gene and at different times in our lives, it activates, right? For some of us, it could activate in puberty. For others, it could be in our 20s. And then I kind of thought, ooh, I have a kid, but I don't know if my mom gene ever activated. (laughs) 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 Because I could never figure out what the cries meant. I just felt like I had 
it was, it wasn't a natural process becoming a mom for me. I felt like I was trying to figure it out constantly, but nothing ever just like, there was no light bulb moment where I just knew how to do things. And so I wrote this essay, a personal essay about, you know, is a discovery of a mom gene, why some of us don't crave having kids or why some of us find motherhood more difficult. And it really was just to talk about this issue, right? Mm -hmm. Where some of us aren't maybe naturally good at this. And the response was amazing. You know, people were writing into me saying, I don't think I have the mom gene. I've been so embarrassed to talk about it. You know, I find motherhood so hard and everyone else seems to find it so easy. And that's when I knew I wanted to write about some of these issues we don't talk about. So I started interviewing moms across the country. I'd go to conferences. I'd go to mommy meetups. I'd go to anything like I, the Museum of Motherhood event. And uh, I just traveled all over just trying to talk to moms to find out about their lives, what they loved, what they hated, what they wish they could change, uh, what was working, um, what they would do differently if they could do it all over again. And that's how I came up with the chapters of the book. I mean, the book chapters really are about very different things. We have what happens in your career, what happens to your sex life, what happens to your relationships with women who don't have children how to avoid toxic mom groups. I mean, there are just so many issues that when we're prepping for parenthood, no one ever, you know, it's like, here's your registry list, but we don't talk about all these other emotional things that we're going to go through. So that's what I wanted to write about. First of all, I'm so glad that you talk about this. I, for, I didn't know about the mom gene, but <laughs> it's something that you said, which is that some women think other mothers make it look so easy. First of all, it's not easy for any mother. I think they're full of shit. Uh, but also, <laughs> um, like for in, in, in my case, I never... I never wanted kids and I used to be, a, and it still kind of rubs me the wrong way that just because I'm a woman, you think it's okay for me to be the one to watch the kid while you're in the meeting. If we're in, in a corporate environment, right? Like, or if we're in a social environment and I'm supposed to be the one to entertain the kids. And I'm like, but if I was a guy, would you ask me to do the same thing? So I, that has right. always rubbed me the wrong way. And it wasn't, I didn't have my child till I was 44. And I will say that I discovered I do have a mom gene, but never thought I had one before. So it took, a very aggressive person to talk me into being a parent with them or I would have never done it. So anyway, I, I, I think this is great because women, I don't know, we're expected to fulfill this role. And for some, it's just not a comforting thing. Yeah. And for some of us, you know, it kind of happens with a lot of ambivalence. Like we're unsure. We're not really sure if it's the right thing for us. Like my husband is the one who had the biological clock. He would send me emails all the time. Ricky, I really want a baby. Oh, a baby would be so wonderful. My biological clock is ticking and I'm sitting there in my office being like, oh, you know, I had never even changed a diaper. I was never the kind of little girl who played house. My Barbies were solving mysteries with Scooby-Doo and the Amazon. Like it was not. I love it. So it was, you know, but I thought, you know, you get to a certain age and you're, I was married. I had, my career was in a good place and I was supposed to have a baby. I was supposed to want a baby. So I did it. Right. And I'm so glad I would never change being a mom for all the world. My kids are funny and amazing and stress inducing, but it's, it's a part of my story and I love it. But I had some awkward moments along the way when I, I remember sitting at home with my baby and thinking, God, how do people keep doing this? Like, how do people do this five times? Like I couldn't understand it. And you're not supposed to talk about what you don't like about motherhood or the things that are hard. You know, I was one of those moms who was laid off on maternity leave. I couldn't believe it. I had spent my entire 20s and, you know, I had my first child and I was 30, 
too. I kind of thought like I was all about my career. That was my focus my entire life. And then having a baby and you're sitting at home with all those hormones and postpartum and all this, and then being told, oh, we're letting go 800 people and you're one of them. It's devastating. And I talk about how people think that when you are pregnant and you're you're on maternity leave, that you are safe, that no one can um, reduce your job or fire you. And that's not true. And so I wanted to talk about the motherhood penalty. So it's not just losing your job, but a lot of women find when they get back to work, the perception of their abilities has drastically changed after they have a baby. They're not considered as dedicated. They're not considered as capable. And it affects their uh, promotion. It affects how, how their career goes, how much money they make. And I wanted women to be prepared for that, but also understand how to maybe safeguard against it. And these are, of course, this is one of those conversations when you're pregnant, no one's going to be like, ooh, you know, before you leave, do these six things to make sure that your position is safe. And that's the kind of thing I go into because no one had, I had never had that conversation with anyone. Mm -hmm. And most of the women I talked to who had been through that had never, you know, we, we get, we have this like sense of womb induced security. Like, oh, I, I just had a baby. I can untouchable at work. It's not true. Well, you hear coworkers, you hear coworkers who complain about the women who go and have to pick up their sick kid. You know, I've heard, I've Mm -hmm. seen plenty Mm -hmm. of groaning from colleagues when mothers uh, left work to do something without understanding what they had to trade off in order to take that time off. It's true. I, I, you know, I remember once going into, I I found another job relatively quickly, but I wasn't feeling well. And I went into the office and told my boss, you know, my story's done. I'm going to head home not feeling well. And she's like, oh my God, you're not pregnant again, are you? And I thought, oh my God, no, I'm not. I'm not feeling well. But there were several pregnant women in the office. I think she was worried that she's going to lose another one to maternity leave or something like that. And it's this idea is that like what, the responsibilities of motherhood outside of work aren't respected and sometimes they're considered an annoyance and that's not fair and that's not right. And it's, and I wanted to just kind of talk about that and start a conversation about that as well. Like women should feel that, you know, they should speak up if they're not treated well or that when something's not right, they do have some rights. And I wanted to outline those. So. Erica, how do you guide people on navigating it? Because there's this discrepancy between what should be a balance of families and that structure being welcome in the workplace and then what actually is, like what Melissa had experienced. So how do you coach people on the way to handle it at work? Like, let's say you are at work or you're under a deadline or there's something going on, a big project, but your family has a demand as well. Either your child is sick or you need to step away for something. How do you coach people how to navigate that? Because the reality well, are, is different than, than what we hope it can be someday. Right. right. There are a couple of different things. First, I, I want to talk about what you're like at work. You know, a lot of women I talk to don't boast or list their accomplishments, right? Mm. And I think it's really important for us to, number one, know the contribution we've made and the impact it's made, and also make sure others know that impact. Right. And that's just something that a lot of us, I was always very awkward about doing that until, you know, after I had a child and I started thinking about this and how it impacted my career. And number two, you have to be honest about your limitations. Right. So if you know that you have volunteered to put on the school play, be one of the parents that does a school play and does costumes or whatever, and it coincides with some big project that you want to do at work, you have to make a choice. Right. And you have to be honest 
and decide what gets, what, what doesn't make the cut. What do you, do you not do the school play with the other parents or do you not take on the big work project? So there, so there's two things you have to be a little boastful, a little bit, know your worth at work, know your contribution, but also know your time limitations and be honest with those. Because what you don't want to do is overpromise in either area. And then, you know, then, then you've proven what they fear that you can't do it or you can't hack it. I also think there's joy involved. You should be joyful in doing the project at work or joyful at the play. And if you try to do too much, then you're that irritating mother or irritating colleague who just it will snap it at the last moment. I sure. wanted I wanted to follow up um, with what you said about women knowing their worth at work. And I had a boss, a female boss who uh, is a mentor, even though she's younger than me whatever. Uh, no, but she's a good friend of mine. And one of the things that she taught me was, and, and she learned this by being a manager in a male dominated field. And she learned the negotiating skill of, you don't just say what you've been able to do, but you put it in numbers. She's like, mm -hmm. you have to communicate the way that men who usually are the ones in charge communicate. And that is by profit, by numbers. And so it's like, don't just say that you did this project. You show the results of the project, you know, whether it's a monetary value or if it's just a numerical value. But she's like, just break it down into something that's like graphable, something that is yeah. measurable and you'll be able to get further faster. So I just wanted to push that through that, Erica, not only do women need to show their worth, but also in their own minds, research how much money you brought to that company. Yeah. And, this, and the, as soon as I started being able to do that, then things got better for me because it's one thing to say, well, you know, I brought, you know, I had all these endorsements in media. I had all this. It's like, well, what were the endorsements worth? How much profit right. did it bring to the company? That's what you have to start thinking about. Yeah, that's actually, that is an amazing, that's the, a great point, Melissa. So every, everyone's company or everyone's career is different. So know the audience that you're working with and then provide um, your impact in the way that's going to speak to them. Mm -hmm. For sure. For I sure. also find that there are some women who overshare at work. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I always want to just be the little voice in their ear to say like, you don't have to say why you're not available for that meeting. Mm. You can just mm. say, I'm not available at that time. I'd prefer to schedule the meeting at this time. Because oftentimes that's what a guy would do. He's not saying, oh, I'm not available because I got a workout or, you know, oh, I'm not available. I meet my personal trainer at that time. Well, he's not seeking your permission. He's not seeking this approval right. yes. in the same way that sometimes I think women are and they're trying to, mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to communicate in the way that we do, which is we share a lot of details. It's part of who we are. It's great. Right. But I sometimes feel like in the work realm, you don't need to tell me you're not available because you've got carpool pickup and you're in charge of the oranges at soccer that day, right? <laughs> Don't tell me that's why you're so busy. It's okay to just say, I'm not available and keep it at that. I've started right? saying meetings. I've started saying I got a meeting at that time, which means yeah. I'm going to meet yeah. my son, <laughs> but you don't it's have to meet him. It's still absolutely a meeting. But yeah, yes. I think we don't have to overshare. We don't have to talk about like, oh, I'm going to run to the market to get this pie that I'm going to pretend I baked for the bake sale. But what you can do... <laughs> <laughs> if there's something important going on in your kid's life, because you don't want to hide it, right? Because I've also talked to people who kind of did that, that kind of hid what they were doing. And the people at the office aren't dumb, right? They kind of knew like, well, she's going at four, it's like school's out. You know, you, you don't want to seem like you're sneaking around because you do have a right to leave 
And I mean, if, you're, if your company allows you to leave, you do have a right to go and do things that you need to do for your family. So if it's something important, like, you know what, I've scheduled this time to be out of the office because there's an important school presentation or parent teacher night. But no, you don't have to bog anyone down with the minutia of all the little things, but you want to make it known that it's you, you do know that you have these dual responsibilities and you're handling both. Mm-hmm. So yes, don't tell everything, but do share the importance of some of those major events that you need to attend to for your family. Erica, do you find that. that some of these women also uh, underestimate the teamwork in a work environment? So I had the pleasure of working in a department with uh, people that when I had a child and I was serious about that job and I took that job very seriously, um, I was proud to be an older parent, that the people that I worked with that were parents of older children almost relived those years by wanting to contribute in what I was doing. So I would come to the table with, okay, my son, you know, he, I have to create a Valentine's box for my son's classroom. And I want to make this really special. Do you have any suggestions on how I could do this? And there'd be guys in the office who'd be like, oh, I got the, I got a great idea. This is how you should do. And I'll even bring some tools in to help you with that. So is that, mm-hmm. do you find there's collaborative environments too, that women can almost feel comfortable with and relief that they're, they do yeah. have emotional support? There is a kinship among most parents, right? If, especially parents who have been through whatever stage you're going through with your child, where they understand the hardship of what it's like dealing with a toddler or a newborn or a teen, which is <laughs> <Just> the, <laughs> the next scary age. Um, <laughs> So I think that, yes, you you can find this supportive village at work, but you're also going to contend with people who don't understand that. Now, I have a whole chapter on um, women who don't have children and how we interact with them and where we kind of fail ourselves in those relationships. A lot of those women told me that they're not respect. Their personal time isn't actually respected because parents feel that they should get, you know, the vacation time they need because they have families or parents need to like take off to do things for their kids. And then they have to, the people who don't have children kind of have to pick up the slack. So I do think that in these environments, like everyone's kind of struggling for with the workload based on whatever their personal life is like. But um, when it comes to parenting, you really do. Like if you, if you read the room, you have to know the people you work with because there are people who are gonna be parents who don't have to do any of the, the load, right? They don't have to make sure that there's toilet paper in the bathroom, there's milk in the fridge and that the soccer cleats are in the trunk, right? right? But for those who do- The men, you know, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I, you I, said I it. Yeah. Say it. I gotta say yeah. it. It's the men, yeah. the fathers. A lot yes. of times, a lot of times, the moms. There are there are over a million stay-at-home dads in this country. I want to give them their shout out because they are working hard. But the majority of the childcare load is on is on mothers and working mothers, and we've learned that during this pandemic, right? Yeah. Nothing has taught us that more than this pandemic. So yes, so you want to find you can find allies and emotional support with other parents who are going through what you're going through. And I absolutely advocate doing that. I, you have to find your village wherever you can. Mm-hmm. And if some of those people in your village are at work, take it. That is awesome. Erica, I want to ask you about this part of your book where you address the, why doesn't anyone see me any more reality of becoming mm-hmm. a mother? Talk <laughs> a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, one of, uh, a lot of the brand new moms I talk to they were ready for you know the sleepless nights and the diaper blowouts and and that kind of thing 
right? They knew that their life would change, but they didn't realize the per who they were would change, right? Like, well, how people viewed them would change. And so what I found that a lot of women struggle with the fact that they still have some of these old wants and desires. They still want to see their friends. They still want to build their careers or they still want to do things that they love. And they feel that they're supposed to sacrifice all of that because they're parents now. And that creates a lot of inner turmoil and sadness and um, feeling burned out. And so I wanted to kind of address that. That's not a healthy way to live, right? If you are burned out and stressed all the time, which most moms are, it's unlikely that you're being the kind of parent or partner that you want to be, right? We live in this constant state of overwhelm. So, and research actually showed that a mom's emotional well-being is more important to the development, the social emotional development of a child than how much money she makes or even how much time she spends with them. Wow. So how you, how you feel about yourself, how happy you are, how fulfilled you are matters. It matters and it affects how you parent. And that's one of the big messages of this book. And that doesn't mean, I'm not saying like, leave your family and go live in Hawaii in a treehouse. Like, <laughs> You're not? <laughs> Sorry, <again. laughs> But what I am saying is that you have to make time for yourself. And I actually advocate for everyone in, in, the, in the top of the book. I'm like, just do this six question mommy burnout test, right? And it's to help you figure out what is really missing. Can, can I just read you some of the go over what it is? Let's yes, take the test. Let's go. So the first question is, am I nurturing my marriage or partnership, right? And am I doing something to keep, to feed that, right? Because the, the thing is, is that if you are completely neglecting this partnership, that's going to have an effect on you too. And for some people, that's, that can, that's what has led to a lot of stress in their life. Number two, is my career headed in a direction that I'm happy about? You know, not everyone has a career, but for those who do, um, are you still able to take on the big projects, build your career, move that forward if that's important to you? Do I have supportive friends to turn to? I'm not talking about how many friends you have. Do I have friends who are gonna listen to me in those dark moments where I'm like, I am at my wit's end and I can't take this, or you know, I left the house with like poop on my face and who can laugh with me? <laughs> like, I, you know, you need someone who you can talk to, cry with, who's gonna pat you on the back, call you to check in on you. And then do I feel good about myself? I and mean, that's like a big blanket question. Like, and that can include like fitness, um, you know, just am I just taking time to just take care of myself, right? Comb my hair, shower, do I feel good about myself? And do I nurture any of the passions I had before I had kids? Now, you know, if you were, if you love bowling and you were like a semi-pro bowler, or if you liked mm -hmm. archery, or you liked yoga, or you liked running, all of those things are still gonna be important to you even if you don't have time to do them. And then the last question is, have I created a social life or an outlet that has nothing to do with my children? And the thing is, if you answered no, to more than two of those questions. Actually, I think if you answer no to any of them, you kind of need to reprioritize. And again, that doesn't mean taking away, you know, hours of time from your family, but it just means giving yourself a little bit of time to work on the things that are important to you. And for a lot of women, they wanted to work on their partnerships or marriage. And of course, like when you have like multiple kids and you're tired and you're working and you're stressed, I mean, who wants, to, who has time to think about sex or being sexy or, or, or anything like that? But you have to kind of decide, well, what does int intimacy mean now that we are like living this family life? Is it like holding hands or touching or watching a movie together or just kissing goodbye? I've talked to some couples who literally don't even say anything to each other in the morning. They're like out the door and they don't talk. Yeah. Well, 
just having a little bit of connection and feeling needed and wanted can be really important and that can help you feel better. But for most women, for most women, the biggest issue was finding a village and having supportive mom friends. Mm-hmm. Really? And that's yeah. interesting to yeah. me. That, yeah. And is it because we're having kids later in life and we have been focused on our careers? So that friendship group is a little bit more sparse? You know, I think what it is is that that could, that's a part of it. But a lot of it is that the kinds of friendships you needed before you had kids changes. Like you're sometimes, as they say, your pre-kid posse doesn't cut it, right? Because you need people to kind of understand what you're going through. That doesn't mean you you dump or don't talk to your friends who don't have kids who are, or are in the same like life phase as you. But it means that you have to have friends that serve different needs or fill different holes in your life. And it's important to have friends who do have kids as and it's important to have friends who don't. And no, I was going to say that uh, because I had my kids so much later. And like I said, I had never planned to have children. So most of my friends don't have kids and they are, they try so hard. Right. But they yeah. only have so much uh, empathy for me. And so right, I, right. I thought to myself lately, it's like, I need more mom friends. But the other thing I want to go back to and just reiterate is yeah. the stress is the overworked, you know, the overstressed mothers, because as you say that you are, the way you handle things is shaping it for your children on how to handle things, whether you realize they're watching you or not, because mm-hmm. I literally just this morning had a thought, uh, I was, I was feeling stress over something. And I thought of my mother because the things I tend to, my go-to thoughts when I'm stressed out are the very things I watch my mother do. Mm-hmm. And for me, there was almost as a kid, this hero thing where I wanted to save my mother from her own stresses, right? Like I was always wanting to nurture her through those. And when I recognized the fact I'm doing the very same thing that my mother would do in these situations, because I witnessed it. And it's so funny, you know, because being, turning into your mother is not always about physical, it's <laughs> yeah, emotional yeah. too. So anyway, so, uh, and I've thought through that and I've, and I've pulled myself up from that because I'm like, my mother would want me to evolve. She would not want right. me to do what she did. Uh, but a lot of women don't recognize that, that their children are right. literally watching how you handle stress. And so, like you said, the, to take things off your plate but I, that yeah. is something that is going to be generational if you're not careful. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And we call it like ghosts of our childhood, right? And it's because our our mothers, our own mothers, were our first models of what a mother was supposed to be like. And I actually asked a lot of women this. I was like, what was your mother like? And it was like, oh, she was hardworking. She was dedicated. She was loving. She, she did everything for us. And I was like, well let's talk about what you think life was like for your mother. Like what was her day like, you know, when she, when you weren't there, what was she doing? Or did she have any dreams? Do you, do you know? And, and so when they kind of thought about it, it was like, well, you know, she wanted to go back to school, but my sister and I guilted her because we, you know, we wanted her to be around or she never did anything or my mother never did anything for herself or my mother was always tired all the time. And she always, you know, she, she never put her needs first or she just, she sacrificed everything for us. And then I asked, I was like, well, if you have a daughter, do you want your daughter to live like that? Like, is that how you would want your child to live out adulthood, never feeling kind of fulfilled or never doing anything for herself? And the answer is always no. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I write in the book, you know, be the kind of parent you want your child to be. You don't, no one of us want our kids to be stressed out, overwhelmed, like completely burned out as adults like this. 
that's terrible, right? So we have to teach them how not to be that way. And we can do it by just taking a little time to focus on our needs too. And I, you know, I think people think like, oh, me time, uh, I'll take one uh, solo cycle class once a week. Now, there needs to be like a little bit more dedication and it needs to be figuring it out, right? For some people, yes, it's going to be exercise or start, start running or pick up tennis or something like that. For other people, I mean, I talked to moms who felt like they worked full time, they had families, but they just felt incomplete. Right. And so um, one of them started a foundation where she goes into um, homeless shelters and she redecorates the rooms for for um, homeless mothers and children. Oh. So that when they're in the shelter, they have a nice room with bedspread and curtains. Right. And I had never even thought of that, you know, and she says oh, that nice. she has a whole program. She's done it through to hundreds of shelters in, in Michigan. And she's amazing. Right. And that gives her an, another sense of purpose and fulfillment. She has a wonderful family. She works. But this is how this is what she does for herself. So it doesn't always mean having a, you know, a career where you're running a company. It could mean being in service to others in a way that really makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. So having a life looks different for every mom. I just want every mom to figure out what that is and work toward it. Well, and just one quick comment on that. Like I find that because I'm a single mother. And so when my son's not with me, he's at school or he's at his other parents home. That's when I get things done or even do things for myself. Mm -hmm. And I realize I don't show him. He doesn't see me do these things. I get mm -hmm. it done so that when mm -hmm. I'm with him, I'm doing everything with him, thinking that's doing him a service. But in my mind, as you speak, it's like, no, he needs to see his mother accomplish something uh, mm -hmm. or relax and enjoy yourself. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think our children really need to see who we are, what we love in addition to them mm -hmm. right. um, and what, what we need. And, and I think that, too, like a lot of moms talk about mom rage and they're like overwhelmed and they blow up at their kids and their and their families. And it's because they're so overwhelmed. Look, I, I don't know how to make your job easier. I don't know how to make the um, the burdens of the pandemic less scary. But I do know that if you carve out a little something that makes you happy, it's going to make you a happier person, right? And it's going to make you easier to. It's going to it's going to make you a more pleasant mom and a more pleasant person. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's just, it's, it's really important. And it's, um, and, and that's, that's why I, I just want, I just want there to be a conversation about women, what women need. And it, it can, it's going to be more than just, you know, taking care of the kids oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Erica, I'm interested in your research around when you ask moms what they would do differently if they could do it all mm -hmm. over again. What were some of those responses? Some of them were funny. Some of them were like, oh, not have kids. <laughs> um, well, I think what it is is expectation versus reality, right? It's this not really having a real understanding of how things would change. And that's why I have this whole chapter on it's a thin line between love and hate. Um, because one of the things that no couples never talk about before they have kids are how those dynamics are going to work out, right? So mm -hmm. if you have two people who work and then you, you're pregnant and you have a baby and you're prepping, you have all of your stuff, you sign up for maternity leave or paternity leave, but then there, no one gets into the nitty gritty of, okay, when, when little Janie is sick, who takes off? 
or if um, who's going to take care of all the doctor's appointments? Are we going to share them? Who's going to take care of after school activities? Who's going to be in charge of keeping this part of the house clean or that part of the house clean? Or we're going to have someone come help us clean. Like all of these things you need to talk about. How involved will grandparents be? Like that's a big one. Couples actually yes. argue about that. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. <And even> <laughs> no, I'm just It's over the birthday cake. We always have arguments every year over the birthday cake, but that's all right. <laughs> And even discipline, you know, I remember a couple saying they didn't even talk about discipline until it got to the point where the toddler or big kid does something that one parent felt they needed a spanking for. Another parent was like, I don't believe in spanking. Like all of these conversations are easy to have. You just need to have them before you get to that critical point where it becomes an argument. And so I think that one of the big things that mom shared is that they would have had these conversations with their partners, especially those career women, they'd have those conversations before the, ch- you know, babies were in the picture or when they were pregnant or really early, in the early stages of parenthood. Mm-hmm. You're so right. Because so much of the time during pregnancy, especially the, with the first child, you're worried about like everything that will going on in the womb and then everything mm-hmm. that's going to go on in probably the first couple months of their life. Right. That was my realm of thinking. It wasn't what you're talking about beyond like, how are we going to raise this child? How is this going to impact us as individuals? How is this going to change our family? Some of those bigger conversations need to be happening even before you start to procreate. (laughs) Yeah. I call it like Lamaze. I call it Lamaze for your marriage. Right. And I'm like, I love put a list of questions. And I was like, before, and before the baby comes, if you have, if you, can or even when the baby's really young and you can take time just to spend like an hour together if it's at dinner or at a picnic or baby sleeping or, or whatever and just get a notebook and each if you answer these questions and then you trade the notebook so that you have a perception of what do you think parenthood will look like what do you who how what does family time look like after the baby comes when do you plan to do the things you love to do if it's golf or swimming or if it's poker or hanging out with your friends, like having an idea of what the other person's perception is, is really important. So that way, when you're, you're angry and resentful that this partner isn't doing what you think they should do, you have a better idea of what they thought things would look like. Does that make sense? It's, it ma- kind it of ma- like- it makes total sense. And it makes me think also, if you're listening and you're past the child stage, but into the grandparent stage, then you should be more nurturing to your children and your in-laws over this very thing. Because let me tell you, the, uh, I remember the only advice that was was usable that I've heard is maintain a date night, maintain a time, just the two of you. But the other, the, all the crap that I was told was exactly what Jen said about the first few months. Everything mm-hmm. at the baby shower, everything at the baby shower, I would say 90% of that crap I didn't use. And that was what the bulk yeah. of the conversations at the time were, yeah. were about what we were going to have at the baby showers and what the registry was going to look like. And that came right. and went so fast. Mm-hmm. And I ended up right. trading 90% of what. So, yeah, the conversations that we pass down to future generations should be more helpful to these couples or these single women who, because I have a friend mm-hmm. who had a baby by herself. Um, um, you know, instead of just what diaper and what outfit and what how to give them oh, a bath yeah. and all that. Oh yeah, whatever. I mean, I would have benefited <laughs> much more from than you know. Everyone's like, get a wipes warmer, but honestly, I needed someone to tell me that like my nipples would be gnawed to an inch of their life. <laughs> like that's what I. I'm like, oh. yes, yes. And how about a heads? Warmer. Yeah, how about a heads up that your hair falls out after you stop nursing? Yeah. Nobody yeah. told me that. I was like, it's, it's what? 
it's, there's, there's so much, and that's because these are like the icky, non-rosy parts yes. of parenthood, and people feel bad talking about them. Well, that's why you can get this, because I talk about it. Absolutely. <laughs> I talk about it. Thank you. And I do, Melissa, I wanted to tell you, I have a chapter on single motherhood in the book, and mm-hmm. it's because, you know, I would meet with moms, and sometimes there would be a single mom in the group, and then sometimes it, the conversation, someone would be like, oh, my spouse travels all the time or whatever. And then another mom would say, oh, it's like you're a single mother. And I think, no, that's not, <laughs> having a spouse who travels all the time is not the same as being a single mother. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, I wanna talk about what it's like to be a single mother, not really for just single mothers, but for other mothers so that they understand the key differences of what it's like parenting solo versus parenting with a partner, even if the partner isn't as present as you want them to be. I was going to say that I'm lucky enough to where I have another single mother that is my partner. So we, we are very involved and we're very, uh, we're in a 50, 50 partnership, which, but we always say that people who are in couples should take advice from us on how we structured this because you, it, it goes back to what you said, there shouldn't be assumptions within the house mm. just because you're a couple. So even if you're not a single mom, that chapter is probably very beneficial um, mm-hmm. because, you know, it. you should be able to, I am capable of taking care of my son without anybody's help, but I do have help. And yeah. I th- and my partner or my ex or whatever you want to call her, my, I call her my baby mama can say the same thing, but I don't know yeah. if a lot of couples could say the same thing. I think a lot of yeah. women are used to having their husbands around and just panic if they have to do it on their own and vice versa. And you should mm-hmm. not be in that position. Right. Right. And we all heard it like, you know, when dads watch their kids, it's not babysitting. It's just parenting. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> that drives <laughs> me crazy. Just, just yes. Parenting. <laughs> And, you know, we, I don't know when the world's going to move past that, you know, that dads are, you know, dad brings cookies to the bake sale. He's a hero or dad's at the playground with the kids. It's like amazing. And it's like, my God, you know, moms do this, you know, 99% of the time and there's rarely a a pat on the back. And I don't know if that pat on the back is ever coming, right? Which is why you have to kind of take care of yourself and do some stuff for yourself. Because if you're waiting for the world to acknowledge how hard it is to be a mom, you might be waiting a long time, so you have to do things that fill you fill you up and make you feel better. The, 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 Brilliant. What it'll what'll come is when your child is an adult and they call the house, and if dad answers, they say, "Well, can I talk to mom?" That's how you know <laughs> right. because whoever the child wants to talk to is who they felt nurtured by and paid attention to, and that's who yes. that adult relationship is going to be with. Yeah, Absolutely. and sometimes it's going to be the grandma. They're one of like they're going to go to the grandma. Or yeah. the aunt who helped raise them, or a sitter, and it, it's true. It's that's true. How you, know. you, you often. That's how you know. Well, we want to encourage all of our frenzy listeners to go check out your book, How to Have a Kid and a Life, a Survival Guide. Thank you. And <laughs> yes, I know. I cannot wait to dive in. EricaSuter.com. That's S-O-U-T-E-R. And you can follow Erica Suter on Instagram as well. Now, Erica, for each and every one of our guests, they answer the frenzy five. This is just a quick, fun, rapid fire Q and A. Okay. Ready? So you're, yeah. So you're not, you're, not ready. you're not done, Erica. Hold on. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> okay. These are quick and fun. Number one, the frenzy five with Erica Suter. Okay. Number one, where is your cozy, happy place? Um, honestly, in my bed watching Law and Order reruns. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Love it. Number two, what's your favorite framed thing in your home? 
actually, I just got it. My kids and my husband bought me a framed cover of my book. And it's just so sweet and considerate of them. And, you know, it's, I, I love it. And I just got it last week. Awesome. Number three, what's your most memorable birthday? My most memorable birthday, probably, oh gosh, that's a quickly, quickly, let me think of something. Probably my last birthday, we were all together and, you know, it was kind of a pandemic birthday, but my kids and my husband made me food and it was edible and it was so sweet. And I have a little toddler and he even tried, he was like mixing the pancakes and it was just so nice to see them try to, you know, do something nice for me and make me happy. And it was just really sweet. I love that. (laughs) Number four, what's a daily routine or ritual you stick to? Okay. So I do this at least three days a week. So I don't do it every day, but I have a morning coffee with my girlfriends. And that's something I do for myself. And it's easier during the school year because we have drop off and then we'll kind of meet at this one cafe and kind of like all, you know, and it'll just be for like 20 or 30 minutes, but it feeds my soul. It gives me through the day. We tell funny stories. We talk about politics. We share something that's going on with each other. I kind of call it like the bat signal. It's like, ah, it's Wednesday. We got to meet to talk about, you know, uh, with my girls. And um, that is something that really feeds me and it's important to me. And I make sure to do it a few times a week. Oh, I love that. I could tell by the way your face lit up when you talked about it. That's awesome. (laughs) Number five, what fashion trend did you jump on? Could be any time in your life. Fashion trend did I jump on? You know, I used to be a huge fan of leg warmers in the 90s. I had like every single color you can imagine. I was about to ask. You have the stripes <laughs> and I and sported the them. Yes, every single day. <laughs> um, but that's uh, long ago. But yes, leg warmers. I remember like being obsessed with leg warmers. Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Erica Scooter, thank you so much for your time today. Such valuable stuff. And moms, please go check out her book, How to Have a Kid and a Life, a Survival Guide. Thank you, Erica. Thanks, guys. Is there a friend of yours who would enjoy this episode? Please share this with her. And on Apple Podcasts, here's what you do. You click on the three dots at the top right corner, and then in the drop-down menu, select Share Episode, and then you can share it however you want. The green messages option will let you text it right to a friend. We would love for you to also sign up for our weekly email where we send the episode right to your inbox. We make it very easy for you. We also include links on things we discuss and give you some deeper information insights to the topics that we cover. And it's how you can also get into our private Facebook group by signing up at thefrenzy.com today. And if you are enjoying the Frenzy podcast with Melissa Carter and me, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to podcasts and leave us a review. That helps us more than you can imagine. And we really want to reach more people just like you. And here is your reminder as I mean, this is the most important thing we do, right? Is to help you share your story. That's the point of all of this. Open up about your story with trusted friends. Your story absolutely matters. Please follow The Frenzy on Instagram. That's at The Frenzy with a Z-Y at the end of friend. If you want to share about the show, tag us so that we can repost it and thank you. We are everywhere, okay? We're accessible to you everywhere because we also are on YouTube. We have a Frenzy YouTube channel. We finally have a vanity URL, the Frenzy Podcast. So please go to our YouTube channel and you can see some extended interviews, see some bloopers, see what we look like. If you don't know what we look like, uh, again, the YouTube at YouTube, the Frenzy Podcast. So exciting. 
The Frenzy is hosted and produced by Melissa Carter and me, Jen Hobby. Sound editing by Bo Johnson. Original soundtrack produced by Tammy Hurt for placement music, written and recorded by Mark Daniels. The Frenzy celebrates friendships over 40. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. We love your friendship. All right, until next week, trust your gut, share your story, and, and stop, stop lying, lying about, about your age. age. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you on Monday. <laughs>